because of our studies on Wednesday night concerning First Thessalonians and Second Coming, and also because of other things that have taken place, and because of questions that have been raised concerning the dead and where are the dead, then I chose to do this particular lesson. This is actually a lesson I prepared for a lectureship almost 20 years ago, and have preached it on numerous occasions on for various reasons. And I think this will be a good reminder of, to most of us about uh, where are the dead. We all know that every single one of us has appointments. We have appointments with doctors. We have a, and it seems like the older I get, the more I have with doctors. But we have appointments with various others, individuals. And of course, some appointments we're able to keep. And then sadly, sometimes appointments come about that we're not able to keep. But we have one appointment that all of us will keep one day. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter in verse 27, the Hebrews writer said, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. We have an appointment that every single one of us, except for the few that might be here on judgment day or the resurrection day, but the rest of us will keep this appointment with death. And though we don't like to look at it, we don't like to think about it, and we all know people that just absolutely will not comprehend and will not think and will not meditate upon their own death. But I hope that's not the case with you. I hope that you realize that this is a real thing that's going to happen in your life, and you'll come to that point someday. Well, we know that life is short. And actually, there are numerous examples of this within Scripture. In fact, one time in a lectureship, I did a lesson on this particular thing and the number of times the Scriptures talk about the fact that life is short. I always think about James 4 and verse 14, where James wrote, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Uh, it, uh, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a, a little time and then vanisheth away. Now this is not the only time this particular statement is used within Scripture. In fact, we find actually it being used a number of different times. And when I was younger, I used to think that this was probably a reference to like when you drive down the road in the early mornings, you see a pond or a river or a lake and the and the humidity, the, the moisture, the vapor that's above it. But the more I've looked at this and looking at the various ways that it's used within Scripture, I think he's really talking about the breath, a literal breath of man. You've seen your breath in the wintertime, and it's just a puff. And he said, what is your life? It is even that breath that appeareth for a little time. And when you look at life and, you know, when you're younger, you know, I remember being real young and, and in the middle of the summer and I'm thinking, well, is this summer ever going to end? I'd like to go back to school. But then as you get older, you look at your life and it is nothing but a breath. It's amazing how fast it passes away. Well, there are some great lessons about death that we ought to consider. And that's the passage then that we looked at, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 4, and I'll not read this again. But the fact is, we learn much about life from death. 
And really we learn more about our purpose of life from death. And it is oftentimes better for us to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. We learn so much more about what's really important when we go to such places. Well, three great lessons about death. Death is first the great soberer. You want to sober up a conversation, start talking about death. And I've been there. I mean, I've been where people are joking around and then someone says something about death and all of a sudden the, the joy is gone. And it becomes very serious. It is the great soberer. And death is the great equalizer. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I mean, the fact is, we're born with nothing, and we will die with nothing. And I'm always amazed at how people will spend their life to gather great riches, but the reality is that when we depart this life, we'll leave with nothing. And, great is, and death is the great separator. And we've all felt that separation. And in fact, my mother passed away almost 20 years ago. And I still miss her. I mean, it is a great separator. And I think back on my life and different people that I've known were close to and them passing away or being killed in a car wreck or whatever it might be. It is the great separator. And we miss folks like that. So when we look at this idea of death, there's a lot of questions that people have. And, and I doubt that I'll answer every question that anybody's ever had, but we have questions about death. And we have to look for answers someplace. Now the reality is the world often looks to human experiences as far as answers to death or human opinions as far as the answers of death, but the fact is it is not humanly possible for man to discover or learn by experience what happens after death. When a person goes into death, they go and they're gone. You can't raise them up like Saul tried to with the witch of Endor and raising up Samuel to get some answers. You can't, we can't do that. It's just simply not possible. And I know that there are some that claim to go into that and then come back, but the reality is much different. The mind can play some mighty powerful tricks. So God's Word then reveals the answers. And in fact, they, God's Word reveals the mysteries concerning these things. Now, uh, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Down this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Then he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. No, the Bible reveals the mysteries behind death. And in fact, it reveals the mysteries that people look for. Where do we come from? What are we doing here? And where are we going? And I think every single one of us at some point in our lives, and usually it's in the late teenage years or in, the, in our 20s, we ask those questions and we're trying to find the answers of where we come from, what are we doing here, and where are we going? 
And in fact, a number of years ago, I was over in overseas, and we were actually teaching a class in the university. And one of the things that we decided to do is to talk about that very thing. And when I mentioned that, that we often asked, I mean, you're talking about these 20-year-old college students. They opened up, and you could see it in their eyes. They wanted the answers to, where do we come from? What are we doing here? And where are we going? Well, the Bible answers those questions for us. And thus, our task is to examine the Scriptures to see what God teaches about death. And that's our purpose in this lesson, is to see what God says about these things. The first question we're going to ask is, what is death? In looking at the Scriptures, there are at least five different ways the word death is used. And so the first way, and the way that we usually think about it, is physical death. James said it this way in James 2 and verse 26, that physical death is the separation of body and spirit. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so physical death is simply the separation of body and spirit, nothing more than that. At some point, at physical death, our animate being, that is this body that we have, that we move and live and we breathe, comes to that point of death. And I don't know if you've ever been around a person that has passed away. I've actually actually held my mom's hand when she passed away. And... So, you know, I've seen it, but there's a moment there when suddenly there's no animation. There's no animate being, and it's gone. That physical death. Also at this point, the body goes back to the dust from which it came. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, and also Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. Then there is spiritual death. Now spiritual death is simply the separation from God caused by sin. In Isaiah 59 and verse 2 he said, but your sin and your iniquities have separated you from me. And so we then recognize that when we sin, when we come to that point in life that we are accountable for the things that we've done, we've sinned and we are separated from God. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, And you hath he quickened, hath he made alive, who are dead in trespasses and sin. That is, to be separated from God. And that's really what that has, has a reference to. And notice, a person can be alive physically, but dead spiritually. And in fact, the majority of the world are alive physically but dead spiritually. Now in the second or in the first Timothy chapter five he was talking about the widow that was dead spiritually but was alive. And then Jesus talked about it also in Luke six nine and verse sixty. The third type of death is death unto sin. Now death unto sin is simply separating ourselves from sin. We die to sin. And there's a lot of exhortations like that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now in that particular passage, Paul talked about being buried with Jesus Christ and raised up to walk in newness of life. 
We put sin to death. But we also put sin to death when we repent of sin. And that is simply crucifying our flesh and crucifying the desires of the flesh. We then put to death sin within our bodies. And other passages that would be similar to that and be really more exhortations to put sin to death within your life. The last type of sin that we'll be looking at is eternal death. Eternal death is simply separation from God for all eternity. Now notice this. We talked about spiritual death. That's being separated from God because of our sin. We also talked about being dead to sin. And now we're talking about eternal death. Now the difference is, is this. If we don't take care of spiritual death in this life, by putting to death our sin, we're going to face eternal death in the end. Now, I don't know about you, that's not what I want to face. Now, I heard one guy one time say, and he actually said this in a sermon, and he said, when I stand before God, I'm going to plead for mercy. And I thought, if you wait till Judgment Day, when you stand before God to plead for mercy, you're waited too late. It's far past the time to do that. The time to put sin to death is in this life so that we don't have to be separated from God. And this is what this John referred to as the second death in the book of Revelation. And because of the contrast of death and eternal life, this is the probable meaning of Romans 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. He's talking about eternal death. The wages of sin is eternal death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice, each type of death entails separation. Physical death, separation of body and spirit. Spiritual death is separation from God caused by sin. Death unto sin is separation of ourselves from sin, and eternal death is eternal separation from sin, or from God, rather. Now notice this. Doesn't this give us an idea of what the word death means? Death is nothing more than a separation, and that's what we must always remember. It is a separation. Well, we need to prepare for death. We know that wise people, as far as this world is concerned, they do prepare for death. And I've known a number of different ones that they, you know, made sure that their belongings would be divided certain ways and, and they prepared for death. I've known different ones through the years that they've picked out the gravesite, they've paid for the gravesite, they've had everything under control, they had it all prepared. And I think they're wise in doing that. Now, after my dad passed away, which was five years ago, my aunt, she was telling me, and well, the, all of us kids, she was saying, you know, you need to get ready for death. You need to be prepared for it. And I said, well, I'm just going to leave all those belongings to my kids and let them fuss and fight over it. Well, that's really not true. But, but anyway, that's sometimes how I feel about it, that, you know, and, and several years ago, Jeremy, our son, he said something about it, about belongings and, and uh, 
and getting rid of it and he said I'm going to take something and I said well that's all right you can have it when I die I'll be done with it <laughs> I mean you know let's face the facts we'll be done with the things of this world but wise people do prepare for death but is it even the more wise who prepare for eternity yeah it's pretty foolish to know that we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And it's pretty foolish for a person not to prepare himself for eternity. To him that is joined to the living, there is hope. A living dog is better than a dead lion. I've thought about this particular passage over the years, but you know what he's talking about? Now I know that we look at dogs a little differently than what they did, but he's talking about a dirty scavenger. And it's better to be a living, dirty scavenger that can change his life than to be a great, noble lion whose end has already been determined. We can change, and we need to prepare. So what then happens at death? Well, the chart that I've created here will help us to understand these things. We know that we have physical life, and of course we are born into this physical life. Some of us are born in homes, some of us born in hospitals, and I'm one of the unique individuals. I was actually born in an ambulance. <laughs> so, you know, but we're born in different places, and that's all right, but we're born into this world. And we become infants. And sad to say that there are some infants that pass away. In fact, the mortality rate of years gone by has been really quite astounding as far as infancy is concerned. I've read one place that there was nearly 50% of infants born in Egypt that would pass on. 50%. And I remember when we were younger, there were many, many more infant deaths than there are now, but thankfully it doesn't happen. But if we die as an infant, we'll go on into the Hadean realm, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But those of us that are living, we come to a point in life when sin enters into our life. And we recognize that sin does enter into our life. And we ask our parents questions about those things. And I don't care who we are and whether we're raised in the by members of the church or, or raised out in the world, we come to a point that we recognize sin. Now, we might not call it that. We might not understand what it really is, but we do understand that it's wrong. And then we come to a point within our lives that we have to make a decision. And all of us come to some point in our life. And we can choose life or we can choose death. Now, if we choose life, and we're not talking about choosing physical life. All of us choose that. If we have a choice in that kind of matter, we all choose physical life, but we're talking about spiritual life. If we choose life, then we'll obey the gospel by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And notice, I included in this the faithful life because it's one thing to be born and it's another thing to live the life that a, that a Christian ought to live. We have to live faithfully. And if we've obeyed that plan of salvation, then God adds us to His church. Now that's 
the choice that we make if we choose life. But you know, if we refuse to choose, then we choose death. I don't know of anyone that just determinately chooses death. But I know a lot of people that have chose death by refusing to choose life. And that makes us then a part of the kingdom of Satan. Well, at some point in our lives, we come to physical death. And we must pass through that physical death. And then we go into the Hadean world. And those who have chosen life, we go into paradise. And, and this is reminiscent then of what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. You remember one of the thieves, there were two thieves that were hung with Jesus, and one of the thieves was penitent. And he requested to Jesus that he be remembered when Jesus went into his kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so in the Hadean realm, there is paradise. But also in the Hadean realm, there is torments. You remember the account of the rich man in Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, the latter part of Luke chapter 16. Now some will say that this is a parable, but if it is a parable, it's really a pretty unique parable because Jesus never used specific names in parables. But in this account, he used the name Lazarus. He was talking about a specific person. And Lazarus and the rich man died. Lazarus ended up in Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. The rich man opened his eyes in torment. And the rich man asked Abraham that for Lazarus to dip his finger into water. Now you're talking about about one drop of water. And he wanted to be relieved of the torments with one single drop of water. You remember what Abraham said? There is a great gulf between you and him. And he cannot come here and you cannot go there. You see, the time to choose life is clear back in this life. Once we go into the Hadean world, Hadean realm, there is no changing. Well then, sometime in the future, there's going to be the resurrection. And then after the resurrection will come the judgment. Now Paul described it as a twinkling of an eye. So though we put these things in this order, we have to remember it's going to take place in just a moment of time. All of it is taking place in a moment of time. And then we pass on to eternity, and we'll either pass into heaven or we'll pass into Gehenna. And I've talked about Gehenna. Gehenna is what Jesus referred to this place more often than anybody else. In fact, every time he referred to this place, he called it Gehenna. And this was the trash dump of Jerusalem, always burning, always smelling. Do you really want to go there? I don't think so. Well, the last thing I want to deal with in this lesson is some misconceptions concerning death. And we're going to deal with five misconceptions. And the first is what's called soul sleep. And there are some that teach, and this is actually a quote from different things that people have taught. He said, men rest 
in the tomb until the resurrection of the morning. And so when you die, you go to the grave and you're in the tomb until resurrection morning according to this doctrine. But notice what Jesus said in John the 11th chapter, verse 25 and 26. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You're not going to go into the tomb and, and be there from now on until resurrection morning. Death is certainly described as a sleep. But a sleep is a temporary state. And there's no doubt about that. But the dead are conscious. Are cautious. Rich men and Lazarus woke up in paradise and in torments. They were quite aware of where they were. It doesn't sound like soul sleeping to me. And to the, to the repentant thief, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Paradise indicates... Just the phrase itself or the, the word itself indicates joy and pleasure and to be in the paradise of God. Doesn't sound like soul sleep, does it? Or what about the souls under the altar? Revelation 6 and verse 9 and 3, 11, where they request in Jesus, how long will it be before you avenge our blood? They weren't unconscious. They weren't going through a state of soul sleep. They were very conscious of what was happening. Another is that the dead have knowledge of what's happening on earth. And though the dead will be conscious, they, uh, they will not be conscious of, or conscious of what is happening on earth. And we get, we get because of, I think, really songs and different things that people say. And they talk about the holes in the bottom of heaven as if our ancestors looked down upon us. Well, if they look down upon us, don't you think they're going to be sadder than they would be glad? Think about it for a second. Every time you do something evil, they would see it. I think they'd be sad about such things. But Ecclesiastes 9 verses 5 and 6 answers this question for all eternity. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Once we depart from this life, this life is over for us. And we have no part as far as this life is concerned. We don't know what's going on. And we don't know what's happening. Well, people will object and say, well, the rich man knew about his brethren, his brothers. Well, yeah, he's, they're conscious. They can remember the past. And that's what they were doing. They were remembering, or he was remembering his past. I'll be very much conscious about who my parents were and who my siblings are and, and, and who are my children and things like that. But that doesn't mean that I will see where they are or what they're doing as far as those that are left here on earth. And though it might be comforting to some, some folks about loved ones like that, but the reality is simply foreign to the Scripture. Then some people teach about celestial marriages. And there are groups out here, and I'm talking about religious groups that call themselves Christian, and they believe in celestial marriages. In fact, it's a very common doc doctrine that's taught. And this is the idea that marriage is, is not for 
this age only, but also for eternity. But you remember the Sadducees asked about this very thing. The, ja- the Sadducees asked Jesus about a woman. And she had seven husbands. And, she, and then they asked, well, whose husband will she, or whose wife will she be in the judgment? You remember what Jesus said? For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels in heaven. Matthew 22, verses 29 through 30. No, marriage is not for the life to come. Marriage is for this life and this life only. Then we have the doctrine of what's called purgatory. And purgatory is the place where souls supposedly go and they can be purged of sin before going into heaven. And so we go into, into the next life or into purgatory and someone can burn a candle and say so many Hail Marys or say, you know, and do these various things that the priest will call upon them to do and they can pray them out of, of purgatory. But that's simply foreign from the Scriptures as well. Only judgment awaits men after death. Only judgment awaits men after death. Our choices are here. And can you imagine someone that lived a total rebellious life and then being prayed into heaven? And we're going to enjoy heaven with a person that was completely, 100% opposed to God because they've been prayed into heaven? That doesn't even make sense. Also remember the great gulf that separated paradise from torment? It cannot be crossed. And so we cannot pray someone out of torment into paradise. The fear of dying is sometimes confused with death. And I know that we use the term dying and death interchangeably, but for our purposes, we're going to define these terms. And dying, by the way I'm using it, is the process of going from this life into the Hadean world. And we go through a process, and it is kind of amazing. We all will probably go through that process as we pass from this life into the next life. Now, if we are fortunate, I suppose, we can go there in just a moment or in an instant, but most of us will go through that process. Death is the state of living in the Hadean world. That's how we're using these two terms. Faithful Christians do not need to fear death. We do not need to fear the concept of where we're going to be in the Hadean world. We're going to have victory, and that's the promise given to us. And if we're faithful in Christ, we'll have the victory in Jesus Christ. However, there are some absolutely horrible and painful ways and fearful ways of dying. That process can be horrible, and we know people like that. I think about this man that I knew years ago, faithful member of the Lord's Church. And he laid in bed for eight to ten years, something of that nature. I did. I mean, I knew him before this, and I ultimately preached his funeral. I mean, it was a horrible thing. I mean, he couldn't hardly move. His wife had to take care of him, and she cared for him all those years. 
There's some horrible ways of dying. But death, brethren, is not horrible to the faithful Christian. It is a victory to those of us that are faithful. So where are the dead? Well, they are in the Hadean realm. And they're awaiting judgment in the Hadean realm. Those that are faithful to God are in the Hadean realm in paradise. But sadly, those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're in the Hadean realm, but they're in torments. But we have to remember, they had a choice just like we have a choice. And they chose not to follow God. All mankind will either be in one or the other of these two places. It's one or the other. We cannot be in both. So what about you? You have a choice just like they had a choice. Will you choose wisely or will you choose foolishly? Where will you go when you die? And is your life right? And are you prepared for death? If we can help you in any way, we plead with you, we beg with you, don't leave unprepared. Prepare for eternity. If we can help you in any way, please come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.